This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Known and Ever podcast brought to you in association with the TalkSport Fan Network. I'm your host Natalie Bromley and for this bumper halfway house between Christmas and New Year edition we have got lots of our guests on here. We have got Analysis Shaw, team members Charlotte and Tom. We've got our resident statistician Statman Dave and we think we might have a little segment from our FPL expert Adam Dennett. Listeners, we are going to give you a bumper episode this week because we are looking back at that fantastic 3-0 victory at home to Birmingham City and we are looking ahead at two fixtures over the New Year period. Friday the 30th at Stoke City and of course a very quick turnaround before we are once again playing in 2023, the start of a new calendar year, and that will be Swansea City as well. So, goodness me, let's get going because we have an awful lot to get through. Let us start where we always start with the non and ever, well, preview show, I guess, rather than a full um, analysis show. It is, of course, your quiz answer. Last time we were doing our Birmingham preview, Statman Dave asked you the following quiz question. Middlesbrough's Akpom failed to convert his last-minute penalty kick when Aro Muric made the save. But who was the last Burnley player to miss a penalty in regular time at the cricket field end of Turf Moor and what was the year? Now, Tom, you and I did the previous show for that Birmingham game and we both scratched our heads a little bit. Since then, can you think of an answer or did you submit an answer at all? My guess was Graham Alexander against Bristol City, which is a long time ago, but I couldn't think of one in between. No, it was a long time ago. It was September 2010. Uh, so, yeah, it was quite nice. Exactly. It was against Bristol City way back in September of that year. Um, we didn't get any correct listeners, although Rich Steele did get a gold star, our other preview show analysis. Charlotte, would you have had an a, a educated guess at that? No, I had no idea. I can pretend because I read Tom's message in the group chat and then I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, what, yeah, no, sure. Greza, Greza. I knew it, yeah, obviously. I think whenever it comes to guessing any question that's vaguely connected with the penalty, I think our default answer is just Graham Alexander, because I think that's probably a good place to start. Um, well, listeners, um, you don't have to wait very long for another crack at our quiz. If you are in the quiz mood with it being the Christmas break and you want to have another go, you just need to hang around to the end of this episode and we will let you know what we're asking you this week. Okay, before we get there, let's have a look at... 
our reaction. Tom, Charlotte, Birmingham City, a very, very, very wet and cold turf moor, but a rather wonderful night. Charlotte, you were there as always. The Rigby sisters were in full voice, I assume. Talk us through your immediate match reaction. As with any result where you get three points, absolutely thrilled. And we love to score multiple goals now, don't we? And it was fantastic as well to see the defensive side of it take such a strong turn as well. Like, yeah. The, we always focus on our players in attack at the moment. We've got some fantastic lads. We have some fantastic movement up through the field. But uh, there wasn't, I mean, I don't watch very much of when they when they were out there on the attack, but there wasn't much that my sister was saying where she actually felt nervous in that situation no. um, I think I've seen a few people where possibly Murich should have caught it rather than punching it out or knocking it out but in that same way we had more of a defensive um, way of playing the game as well and, and I think what they had a shot on target or something throughout the no, whole game not a single one so, not, not a single, single one, one. so no. that's that shows a little bit of something there that must have had some kind of good defending. It was really good to see that. I think before the game, there was a lot of talk. It reminded me a little bit of the Watford game last season as well. And I'd seen a few people say the same thing, just the weather-wise. And it's so funny how those things can, can trigger your memory. But I thought, yeah. oh, yeah. it's just it's just made me think about it. And then someone else mentioned it. And that made me think about it even more. But I was very glad when it turned out nothing like that. And even though we were all soaked to the bone afterwards, it was a, a thrilling result turf more and wouldn't want it to be any other way exactly um i think we've all got numerous stories of, of rain drizzle to turf more i think we could literally do an entire season worth of, of memories of, of rain at turf more um tom i'm going to stick with that defense actually just because i'm going to get this little bit out of the way on the podcast because generally speaking last night was awesome everything was fantastic it was much more attacking much more pressing um when we did keep possession there was more of a purpose to that possession it wasn't like the middlesbrough game when it was just side to side we were genuinely using that possession to wear out birmingham mentally and physically however a little bit of tick took a bit of the gloss and the shine off the game for me was Whilst Birmingham didn't really threaten us in defence, there were a couple of moments where they did manage to get in good positions. And as Charlotte said, where Murich did punch one out rather than catching it, which which put us under a bit of pressure. And I, 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 I did feel like we were a little bit shaky at the back last night. Please, am I seeing monsters under the bed or do you think there's something in that? I think uh, you, you summed it up really with the stat before. They had two shots, neither of which were on target. So, you know, there's... there's I think it's easy to say, you know, when we were one little controlling most of the game, it's easy to get a bit more maybe spooked than you would normally. I think yeah. probably you pro- because because it was such an easy game, probably something where across the occasional cross in the box from Birmingham sort of maybe woke you out of the stew for a major thing cold, something's happening here. But you know, it was it was nothing really. I, the, the punch from Murich, I agree, was was poor. We know that's a weakness in this game, but I thought in the second half actually. He improved. He, he come out and everything he come out for. He actually claimed to and caught it. Um, it helped that Birmingham were just quite a limited side. They didn't have a lot of quality. Deeney up from was looking every. Uh, oh, I was very disappointed with him. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's um, what's the polite way of putting it? Past it. Past, past, past his prime. Just yes. slightly, slightly <laughs> over, over, slightly out of his prime. Maybe yeah. Um, he didn't cause as many problems. And I think even when he won some men, he didn't have much around him. And uh, I thought it was good to see as well company. Um, just when you make, when there was starting to get maybe a little bit of pressure, they had a few long throws in the box. We don't always look 100% convincing at defending balls into the box. 
uh, he took Matson off and put Taylor on, and I thought that sort of calmed it down. Taylor's obviously very experienced, so. mm. better defender, and I think that's something that um, we've learned from earlier in the season when we were dropping all these points with late equalisers. Remember the Coventry game he brought yeah. Roberts and just made it a bit more solid, and we saw the game out, and there was a bit of that as well. So, yeah, I think um, the only way you could say that we really had any jitter last night or if, was if you were just trying to make the game a little bit more interesting than it actually was. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, listen, it's 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 difficult at the moment because we we are any critique of the team's performance is critiquing them from absolute perfection to a ridiculously high bar because just the standard of that that team is this 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 season is just outstanding. So it was just it was just something that I was a little bit wary of in the early stages of the game. But like you say, maybe when it is that easy and it is that joyful to watch, and actually there's just no stress at all you get yourself in a position where you, you're almost looking for something to look at, essentially, more than anything. You know, you, you want something interesting. You want a debating point from the game. So I suspect it's a little bit of that. Um, it's quite a boring podcast if we just came on and spoke about it. <laughs> yeah. really so, yeah, probably yes. nice to try and find some, some kind of bones of contention. You see, listeners, we do it for you. We just do it for you. We find these little, little points of discussion for you just to make it a little bit interesting. So we don't want you bored. We don't want you using, you know, your, your valuable lunch breaks and your commute time to listen to us just going on about how good they are. That said, that's probably what we are going to do. Charlotte, no more so than the one and only Anna Sorori, who celebrated a hero's welcome to Turf Moor with a goal, a very well-worked goal, on 52 seconds. Could we love that boy anymore? That is the question. Oh, absolutely not. It was lovely to see him back, and it was absolutely lovely to see him meant that in very quick fashion as well and I thought it did him a world of good to get back into there to hear his name being chanted his, his song that's forever stuck in all of our heads every single oh, day oh I've given up uh, around Turf Moor just lives there's there. no point trying to stop it nope. yeah it's just there now and it probably will be for the rest of my life but it was just nice to see and he, you could see and as he came out it was brilliant welcome for him and then yeah what were it 52 seconds or something like you said Something stupid just to open that with that scoring. And what a goal as well. Not only just a great build-up, but a fantastic finish as well for him. And the celebration, he was more than happy to to slot that in the back of the neck. I think it was very, a good celebration that was followed by Connor Roberts. A very similar celebration straight yes. afterwards with the knee slide. Well, not quite Love straight it. afterwards, but with the knee slide. It was a pretty good carbon coffee as well. That seems to be a celebration of choice last night. But it was lovely to see him back. And I, I think... Is a such an asset to the team, and I did miss him. Although the results might not have said so much, we I did miss him. I just missed yeah. his kind of presence in the team. Um, and yeah, I think after the goal, he went. He didn't personally go quiet, but it went a bit quieter down that side. A lot of it went down towards towards Benson more than anything else when yeah. they were playing. But um, after that goal, but you could still tell he was in that game, and he was it, even if. It was coming down to Benson. If he had a quick look over at Zahuri, he had himself in space. He had himself ready to get the ball. Absolutely fantastic, ready for anything. And, yeah, it was lovely to see him back on turf more, and I'm sure many people feel the same. Yeah, definitely. And I think it was nice to see that it just kind of looked like he'd not been away. There was no hangover. There was no jet lag. It was like slotted straight back in. And that's that's probably a credit to the um, Moroccan side who even though they've had players who didn't feature at all until the until the, the the what's it third and fourth place playoff he still managed to come back that sharp and that fit so they obviously did a good job in training with the, the, the wider squad there in Morocco 
Yeah, for Nefford, you've heard some other players that have come back to the their teams. I won't name any names that have been called out for not keeping the fitness levels up, and it it must be a little bit was one, I believe that we yeah, saw. Yeah, overweight was the word I heard as well, and not fit enough to even train with the team, which I thought was quite harsh. And whether Vincent Company would be that type of manager anyway. Um, but it was nice to see that they must have been working hard, and and that's a credit to him as well because it must be so easy to get carried away in that kind of situation. And if you're not playing to get carried away in the celebratory side of it as well and, yeah. and getting involved with the team and maybe just taking a step back from your fitness level. So it's an absolute credit to him as, as a young man to have that discipline as well. Um, but it was great to see him. And like you said, he, sl- he slotted in no problem. He loved being back with his teammates, you could tell. And I think he really quite enjoys being back on turf more. Yeah, he loves us. And I love it as well. I love how much he loves being with us and how much he's taking to the fans. Um, Tom? A goal in the opening seconds of the game and a goal in the in the half and a goal in the dying seconds of the half. If you are not one to be at your seat on time or you like to leave early for a pint, last night was not the game for you. Um, how much do you think that sort of was a summary of that first half performance? Because it did, after that first goal, it did go quite quiet, apart from a couple of half chances. Nothing really happened until, you know, right on, on the halfway line. Do you think that was just gamesmanship from both sides or do you think it was just I don't know I can't really figure it out what happened in that first half I think we spoke uh, a lot before about how the, the first halves are, are quieter you know in the Middlesbrough game some, some yeah. found it a bit boring some didn't but um, I think the difference in this one was Birmingham tried to do for the first sort of 10-15 minutes what they tried to do to us at St Andrews which was press us um, obviously we broke the press in the first minute went up that and then scored and suddenly the whole complexion of the game is different because Birmingham yeah. didn't at all. And I think they thought, for 10, 15 minutes, they thought, let's try and press them and get at them. And then they realised, look, if we do this, we're going to lose 5 6 nil because these are miles better than us. And and they just retreated for the rest of the half. And I think we're content at 1 nil just to to pass it around. You know, yeah. I compared yeah. to the gear last night because we were just so superior. It was uh, it was a game that we knew we were going to win as soon as that first goal went in, really. Um and as you say, the, the goals came at a good time, I think, to score so early, as I say, really um, set the tone for the game. And the score just before our time, you knew they were not going to score two goals last night if we played till Christmas. So, yeah, uh, just good good time to score. We controlled the game. We looked really comfortable. You know, if it's one thing to be passing it around nil-nil and probing for the opening, but when, we, when we're in such total control of games and we've got so much of the ball, if you you know if you're not giving up anything to Birmingham like we did last night, then it doesn't really matter you know what kind of tempo you play because you're not going to get threatened. And if you want the lot, then you're going to win the game. Yeah, that that's true. I think the way I I was kind of looking at it last night was we we even when we scored the first goal, the opening goal, we still stuck to our obvious game plan until told otherwise at half time, which was just to keep possession and just to stop them having any chances at all. Um, so we we just carried on as if it was nil-nil really, which is what we always tend to do. But as I said at the opener of the show, just keeping that high, um, sorry, just keeping that possession, but actually making them run for it. And you could see the energy levels of the Birmingham players drop. But I actually also think that they did the same thing. I think they then retreated into a game plan of let's just keep this to 1-0 because if we can go in at half-time at 1-0, we'll see what we can do in the second half, see if we can get a set piece or try and you know capitalise on a mistake. And then that they were just dead when, when we scored the second. Um, where else do I want to go with this, Charlotte? I'm trying to think. if the, Oh, um, oh, what was that? 
Where was I going with that? My brain's gone. Just why are you thinking, Natalie? Yes, just sorry. Go on. That as well with the energy levels. Um, you know, we, we've got a bumper preview show this week, and it's because the games are also close together. You know, it's three in a week. Yeah. Um, so that plays a part as well. I think, you know, when at 2-0, when the game's already over, really, both teams know it. You're not going to see a full throttle second half because both teams are thinking, well, let's just save a bit of energy because we've got another big game coming up. So that probably played a part in it as well, I would have thought. That's a good point, actually. I, I suspect where I was probably heading with this is it, I was I was actually heading to Nathan Teller, which for the third goal, which is probably a nice, quite, nice little uh, segue there. Um, Charlotte, I thought there were some very, very clever substitutions being made last night by Vincent Company. We've already talked about the Charlie Taylor one. That I thought was, was a fantastic um, tactical substitution. But I think he used the squad well. We all said before the game started that that bench was ridiculous. Like that, that bench was better than some of the starting eleven um, of some of the of the championship sides. But company just yes, he's got these players at his disposal. But my goodness, how much did he use them last night? Yeah, we're a bit spoilt for choice at the moment now, aren't we? It's not felt that way for a while to have a fantastic starting eleven and then having the players that can come off the bench and that could just well have started. And I was saying to George on my way home last night, I said, look, he did make very good substitutions. He had a very good game plan, looking forward at the games as well that we've got to come. And the fact that some of those lads were on the bench, but they they came on for, what, 10, 15 minutes, keep the fitness levels up, whatever, keep keep them raring for the game. And they'll be the starters next game, I assume, or, or play more of a part. And I think, like you say, he's, he's played a, a good game there. It was, it was at 2-0, you know, like you said, the... We think it's settling down a bit. Both teams know what's going to happen, really. And then yeah. he can start to change his plays about, give him a bit of rest. Um, you saw many subs off the likes of, uh, of Jay and things. He could, you could see it, it tired out a little bit there. It was more of a, a long hunk of a game than what it has been recently. Um, and you could see that was a, a good substitution as well. Um, but no, I thought bringing Teller on, he's just a bundle of energy, isn't he? Whenever you get him on, I absolutely love the fella he's got the smile to die for and he is a bundle of energy and to be able to bring him on and obviously when he scored the goal that's just the icing on the cake but Mm, you've then got that yeah you've then got that for the next game you know you've got him on the bench if need be to come on sooner or even to start him and give the other lads a rest because it's so fantastic to have those options now and the fact that he's built a squad like that is is absolutely sublime for him and, and he really knows what he's doing with his substitutions. You, towards the beginning of the season, some of them, you know, you think he could have brought people on at different times, he could have had different people starting, but he seems to have really got into the the flow of the squad and things now and seems to be working really in our favour. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my other match for you, Tom, before we move on? Uh, I think the outstanding candidates were on the right-hand side, Benson and, and Roberts, I think identified the fact that that left-back was uh, a little bit dodgy and that he didn't have a lot of support either. Um, I think with a goal and a session right-back, you've got to give it to Robert. Thought his, assist, his, his play on the on the right-hand side, especially in the first half, set up one goal, could have set up Benson for another, and then the finish for the goal on his weakest for first-time goal. Yeah. Coming from your full-back, it's just outstanding. Really good. So, yeah, uh, agree with the uh, the crowd. It's Robert for me. Excellent. Um, Charlotte, can I... Can I make a claim for Josh Cullen? Are you having any of that? I thought he was outstanding last night. Yeah, I think Josh Cullen's one of those that we, we kind of overlook and forget about sometimes. Well, that's under the radar, doesn't it? 
Yeah, he does play under the radar and it's because he's got those big personalities and those big players around him that we all sing praises for all the time. I can absolutely see a shout for Josh Cullen. And I could really with most games see a shout for Josh Cullen. I think he's, like you say, he flies under the radar, but he's a massive he's a massive part of what we're doing at the moment. But I've got to agree with Tom there with Connor Roberts. I thought, you know, he's got so much stick over the course of the season and he's absolutely come out flying last night. And he took on quite a few took the brunt of quite a few cynical fouls last night as well. Oh, yeah, he did. Up after him and he took the brunt, of, the major brunt of him. So they must have seen him as, as a threat as well. And he did, and he got back up and, you know, he might have said a couple of words or whatever, but he got back <laughs> up and then assists, he scores, and he just had a fantastic game start to finish. So it got to be Connor Roberts for me as well. There you go. Connor Roberts, it is. He takes man of the match. Well, let's move on because we do have two more championship games to look forward to, listeners. They come thick and fast in this league and gosh, don't we love it. I do not want this season to end, I'm not going to lie. First up is an away trip to Stoke City. It's on Friday the 30th of December. It's a 7.45 kickoff live on Sky Sports, on the red button and on Claret's Plus. Um, we are going to head over to the preview show studio to our good friend and resident statistician Dave Roberts, who's going to give us the championship head to head. Earlier in the season, we ran through the head to head between Burnley and Stoke City in terms of second tier matches played at Turf Moor. So, for the reverse fixture, we're going to look back at the equivalent fixtures that have taken place at Stoke including matches played at the Victoria Ground, as well as the more recent meetings at their current home, which has been in use since 1997. Following a goalless draw at the Victoria Ground on Boxing Day 1907, we have to jump forward to the 1930s for our next three second-tier visits. The two teams played out a 1-1 draw in October 1930, but Burnley lost the other two meetings prior to World War II, both by a 3-0 scoreline in January 1932, and then again during the following season in October 1932. Stoke City's Joe Johnson scored a hat-trick for the Potters in the latter of those two defeats. Burnley travelled to Stoke twice for second division matches in the 1970s, and suffered two more defeats. Garth Crooks was on the score sheet for the Potters as they won 2-1 in August 1977, and he also played a part in Stoke City's 3-1 win in October 1978, grabbing an assist for a goal by Howard Kendall. Our next visit at this level was in December 1994, and after a goalless first half, David Ayres was sent off for a challenge on Toddy Orgelson, who put away the resulting penalty and also scored another to seal a 2-0 victory for the home side. However, things have improved for Burnley since then, with wins in four of the remaining six away games at this level, all of which were in the current millennium. A spectacular 25-yard shot from Dean West earned Burnley a 1-0 away win in March 2003, and that was followed by another Burnley win in September 2003, which will be the subject of our memory match. We even made it a hat-trick of away wins at Stoke thanks to Gary Cahill, who scored the only goal in the 79th minute for a 1-0 away win in January 2005. Following a 1-0 defeat in March 2006, Burnley choked up another victory by the same score in September 2006. An early goal from Andy Gray inside the first minute was enough to give Steve Cottrell's Clarets all three points. The last time we met at this level was in March 2008, 
when Kyle Lafferty's early goal was cancelled out by a late Liam Lawrence penalty. So, overall, Burnley have won four, drawn three, and lost six of our previous 13 second-tier home games in Stoke. And we'll be hoping to continue our momentum in front of the cameras on Friday evening. And you will recall, moving on next, listeners, that our new feature for the second half of this season is Most Famous Celebrity Fans. Uh, we introduced this in our last preview show because we are going to, we can't look at play for both because we've already done that. So we're going to have a look at celebrity fans for the second half of the season. I think regular listeners will remember we tried this a few seasons ago um, on the preview show. So we're going to bring it back. We tried our best this season to find out who Stoke City's most famous celebrity fans were with help from their fans, and these were the biggest names that we could discover. Top of the list, Nick Hancock, TV presenter, Room 101, and they think it's all over. Most people know who Nick Hancock is. Uh, Morton Harkett, the lead singer, singer sorry, with Norwegian pop band Aha. Aha, ha, ha, ha. Uh, Slash, the guitarist with Guns N' Roses, comes in at number three. Number four, Dominic Cork, former cricketer. Number five, Adrian Lewis, the darts player. And at number six, Neil Baldwin, who is known affectionately as Nello, the kit man who had the film Marvellous made about him. Tom, Charlotte, did either of you know any of those? Nick Hancock, I remember. Uh, yes. I used to watch They Think It's All Over when I was... Uh, that was a good quiz show. It was, and, and he was very... He's one of these who, like, you know, he's actually a fan of the club. He's not just yes. doing it. Like yeah. when I look yeah. at when I look at, for example, Slash in that list. Now, I know he's uh, he's from the Potteries, but I don't recall ever seeing him in a in a red and white striped shirt on stage. So I'll take that one with a pinch of salt. But Nick Hancock, I know he's at, he's at least a proper football fan. So I'll give him that. One. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Charlotte, did you in fact know any of those names? Uh, I was quite happy to see Neil Baldwin on that one. I thought that was oh, a nice one, Kitman. Uh, again, you know, he's uh, he's been associated with the club for a long time. He's played on that that role, and he must be a, a, a true fan there for him. Uh, and I thought, yeah, it was a fantastic one to see. Uh, it must be a nice one for the fans to put forward as well. Good, 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 good. Well, I'm going to ask you, which is the final point of this feature, to score. Stoke City out of 10 for the standard their celebrity fans Tom I'm going to give this to you because you knew a couple more than Charlotte did what are you giving them out of 10 step up on Birmingham I'll give them uh, I'll give them a 7 a 0.5 over Birmingham for now Excellent. There you go. But uh, Stoke City fans you get a 7 out of 10 for the standard of your celebrity fans um, Let's go back to Dave Statman Roberts please and you can give us this week's memory match please Dave If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, 
information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. For our memory match, we're going to go back to September 2003 for an eventful game at the Britannia Stadium. Burnley had gone into the loan market to secure the services of Delroy Facey and Gareth Farrelly from Bolton Wanderers, with Glenn Little going in the opposite direction as well as Andy Todd arriving on loan from Ewood Park. Despite the loss of Glenn Little, the presence of the new loan signings certainly had an instant impact on the Claret's slow start to the season. However, it was that little magician Robbie Blake who ruled the Britannia, giving 1,343 visiting Claret's fans a masterclass. Burnley's opening goal came when Gareth Farrelly's corner in the 18th minute was flicked on for David May, who managed to force a shot over the line. That lead was doubled less than 10 minutes later, when Captain Graham Branch played a 1-2 with Robbie Blake and then set up Luke Chadwick to shoot past Ed DeHoy. Stoke managed to find a way back into the game with a header from Carla Sarba after 53 minutes, but their chance of making further progress were dented when Asaba was dismissed for a second yellow card shortly after he'd scored, after an apparent elbow on David May. We managed to hold on for the victory, despite the efforts of future Burnley striker Gifton Noel Williams, who was unable to find a way past Brian Jensen. After the game, Stan Turner was a happy man, and said, We have Premiership footballers at this club now, before adding, but I could still do with having Glenn Little. The win took Burnley to 10th place on 9 points after 6 games, and also meant that we leapfrogged Stoke City, who were in 13th place on 8 points. And then finally, from a stats perspective, we have got the referee news for Stoke City. 53-year-old Kevin Stroud of Hailing Island in Hampshire. He will have the whistle down at Stanley Matthews Way this Friday evening. He will be, it, this, sorry, this will be his 10th Burnley game. And the only time we have lost was way back in September 2005, which was the first time he took charge of one of our matches. That was a 1-0 defeat at Plymouth. One of the five draws ended well for Burnley as we went through after a penalty shootout at Chelsea in the League Cup in November 2008. He was also in charge of the eventful 3-3 home draw against Blackpool earlier in this season. But prior to that, Burnley had won the previous three. They were in 2014 and 2015. There have been red cards, aside from the ones shown to Sonny Carey and Ian Matson in that Blackpool game. Keith Stroud has also sent off Clark Carlisle at Millwall in 2010 and Stephen Caldwell at that match at Chelsea in 2008. Um, Charlotte, let's come to you first. How are you feeling ahead of that away trip to Stoke? Well, you've got to be feeling pretty confident after the res- recent results and, and seeing the, the team playing. Like you say, there might be a bit more of a fitness issue with it, people being tired, a lot of games together, but we've shown that we can 
still dominate a game even when we are having to, to take a step back. I mean, last night, did we even get out of second gear? I don't think we did really, and we still won 3-0, three, three you know. It gives a lot more to build on, so you've got to be feeling pretty confident. As regards to the referee, it can't be much worse than what we've seen over the past day or so. Oh, my God, last um, night. So oh, my goodness. Crossed. I mean, the Blackpool result from last time is one I do want to forget, um, but hopefully it would be a better outcome for us this time. But, yeah, it can't be much worse than, than what we uh, what we sat through last night, really, can it? So hopefully that'll play a better role for us as well. Um, but, yeah, you've got to be feeling pretty confident. And I'm always nervous to say that I feel confident. I feel like it's a big jinx in the universe and all this lot. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you, you, you have to be honest sometimes and you do have to go into it feeling confident. Yeah. Uh, Tom, Stoke City down in 17th place with just eight wins this season. Um, but they have got 30 points. We are 20 points behind the Clarets. Um, that said, I'm not entirely sure that outside of the top two, you can read an awful lot from the championship table as to form or standard of opposition, just because it's, I think there's something like nine points separating relegation from the playoffs in, in the championship. But um, Stoke, particularly at their ground, are a hard side to beat but do you think that this Burnley side has now got enough resilience in it as well as technical flair to be able to see off a side like Stoke away? Yeah I think Stoke are a, a bit of a far cry from the days when it was the, the archetypal tough place to go you know the wet and windy Tuesday nights at Britannia I think they've been quite a poor sort of lower lower tier sort of championship side for quite a while now and we've just got so much more quality than them it'll be I'll be just, yeah, I sort of feel the same as Charlotte. It's, uh, you, you don't want to sound arrogant or you don't want to feel like you're getting carried away. But at the same time, you just look at the two teams on paper and you just think, I can't see how this isn't going to be another side that we just blow away. The way we're playing at the minute, we're just so good. Yeah. And I think Stoke aren't very good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident for this one. I'd, touch wood, I'd, I don't foresee any major complications with this game, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, it genuinely just feels like we're just too good for that league going forward anyway like we just they can't handle us we're unplayable yeah and I think Stoke at home was sort of the last game where we looked quite fragile it was the, the one yeah. where we dropped a, it was like a last minute header at the back post and we didn't really we didn't play hanging on a bit weren't we for, to keep them yeah, yeah we were and we weren't sort of irresistible going forward and then I think the game after that was Coventry away with the 1-0 and um, sort of uh, battling away win and we just haven't got back from there really uh, Benson and Zorori are in full flow and you know, it, like, like we were talking about earlier, the options that we've got to bring off the bench if either of them gets a knock or anything like that, they're just frightening. So I just, if Stoke play anything like they did at, uh, at the turf, we, we've improved so much that I, I just can't see them, I can't, I can't see you struggling against them. Yeah, that's fine. Um, Charlotte, do you keep the same team unless Vitinho's fit again? I think that that's our best start 11 or do you have a think about swapping up front, maybe bringing Barnes on to give us a bit of, of, of toughness up front, or do we just stick with what we know? I think at the minute, yeah, if you've got a winning formula, you stick with a winning formula. I think Barnes is a good option to bring off the bench, um, if need be, you know, like when he did uh, yesterday, he came off, off the bench, he offered, you know, a big man up front like we do, like a bit of slowing down the game and whatnot. Um, but I wouldn't, Jay, I think, was quieter last night on the actual chances for himself, but he has such an important role on the actual way we play. He's always getting himself free. I feel like he's he, 
he plays a role that goes under the radar when he's not actually on the score sheet. Um, again, I can't, if that would have gone in yesterday when he weren't looking, it flicked it off his back heel. That would have been the best goal, and I, I'll take no no criticism of that. So I I wouldn't drop him unless we need to. Um, obviously if Vitinho's fit, we could look at that as well. But the same, you can't you can't drop players that are performing that well. Um, and Vitinho haven't really been around the side too much as he. I think if he's gonna he's gonna come back in after a bout of injury, I'm guessing then it's possibly a, a bench start and then. Uh, coming on as a sub, that type of thing, if if need be. We don't want to put a player that's obviously not been properly fit straight back onto the pitch. It's not something that usually happens anyway, unless they've had a, a longer period of recovery. Um, so I wouldn't be swapping and changing too many teams that too many people in a team that are winning like that. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, quick score, score, goal, score prediction, please. Goal, score, score, goal. Whatever. What's going to happen? <laughs> Uh, I think we should have to one up what we've been doing. Uh, I think we should go for four nil. <laughs> no, I mean, in all seriousness, if no, 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 So, part two of your bumper preview show edition, listeners, is the second of this weekend's fixtures, and that is Monday, the 2nd of January, 2023, and that's our away trip to Swansea. We are going to jump straight back into this. We're going to go to Dave in the preview show studio, who's going to give us the championship head-to-head. When we look back at our second-tier visits to Swansea, most were prior to the Second World War, as we spent nine seasons together in the second division in the 1930s. Those nine visits yielded just one win and one draw for us, with defeats in the other seven matches. The draw was in February 1931, with George Beale scoring first for Burnley, before his 16th-minute goal was cancelled out five minutes later by Ron Williams. Burnley's only pre-war victory was in April 1936, when young centre-forward Tommy Lawton scored twice in a 3-1 win. Burnley's only other victory at this level was a 2-1 win in our second division promotion season of 1946-47. Both goals were scored in the last 15 minutes, with Jackie Chew and Ray Harrison being in the right place at the right time. This match and all the ones in the 1930s were while our hosts were playing as Swansea Town, as they didn't become Swansea City until 1969 when the town was granted city status. That just leaves three more away games at this level. There was a 2-1 defeat for Burnley in September 1979, when Peter Noble's early goal was cancelled out by a back-heel goal from John Toshak. And then Tommy Craig scored the winner for Swansea from the penalty spot in the second half after Billy Rodaway had been harshly penalised. In September 2008, we thought that Joey Johnson's goal was enough to earn us all three points. But we had to settle for a draw when Ferry Body popped up with an equaliser deep into stoppage time. 
Our most recent visit at this level was in August 2010. On that occasion, Scott Sinclair's eighth-minute strike proved to be the only goal of the game, which finished 10v10 after Swansea's Darren Prattley and Burnley's Tyrone Mears were both dismissed within two minutes of each other during the second half. Overall, Burnley have won two, drawn two and lost nine of our previous 13 second-tier away games at Swansea, which hasn't been the happiest of places for Burnley over the years. So we'll be hoping to put that right on Monday afternoon. Okay, Charlotte, over to you with this one. We're back with our celebrity fans feature. Uh, feature, sorry, not fixture, feature. So let you tell me whether you've heard of any of these ones this time. These are Swansea's famous fans that we've picked out who've been linked with that club. Coming in at number one, Oprah Winfrey. US talk show host with 43 million Twitter followers. Coming in at number two, Ellis James, a comedian and radio TV presenter. At three, Rob Brydon, also comedian, actor and presenter. Number four, Catherine Zeta-Jones, the Hollywood actress. At number five, Michael Sheen, also an actor. And at number six, Max Boyce. Boyce, who's a veteran comedian, singer and entertainer. Charlotte, a little bit of an easier list for you, this one, I think. Yeah, I recognise quite a few of those names on there. How many of them I, I see as being Swansea City fans, a little bit different. Um, I'm very surprised about Oprah. I mean, I've, I've never heard of that one. Maybe no. I don't watch enough of the show to, to know that she's a Swansea City fan. It, it, maybe I'm the one that's in not in the know there, but uh, very surprised by that. I don't know if she's just picked a name out of a hat there and, yeah, and chosen think, that's going to be the team. <laughs> quite possibly. I think Statman Dave might be slightly teasing us with this one because he has given me a little bit of a show note to read to you and he says... This one might be slightly fanciful. Oh, Dave, what have you done here? He says, actress Mindy Kaling was with Opera on the Lorraine TV show in 2018 and revealed her own investment in Swansea City. The response to that, Opera responded by saying, ah, I now believe in that team too. I'll invest as well. So in true previous show fashion, Statman Dave has taken that and decided that Opera Winfrey's now a Swansea fan. But you know what? That makes more sense. <laughs> we can stretch to anything on the Known and Ever podcast, listeners. You name it and we'll do it. Tom, score them. They've got to score highly, I think, as Swansea City for their celebrity fans. Well, yeah. Again, assuming that we're actually taking all these Swansea celebrity fans. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think Oprah Winfrey has heard of Me Too, which, uh, which uh, you can't be a Swansea fan if you've never heard of Me Too. Uh, but I tell you, I do like Ellis James, and like he's the sort of archetypal pessimistic football fan. So uh, yeah, we'll, I'll give Swansea an eight. There's a good list. Lovely. Yes, Tom, I agree. I think Swansea City, you deserve a non-never podcast score of eight for your uh, famous fans. Um, we were going to go to the memory match this one. We're going to head back to Dave for this particular one, but uh, we've had never had a win at Swansea at this level for over seventy-five years. So Dave's decided in his infinite wisdom, to give it a break this this occasion. Um, he's kind of hoping that he's going to make some memories on Monday instead so they can put this into a future podcast. But for now, I'm afraid, listeners, we have no memory match. This is going to be a short Swansea City preview show. Let's have a look at the referee, please. Um, Oliver Langford of Blackpool will be in charge for our first match of 2023. We've already seen him once this season. He was at Turf Moor in September when we beat Bristol City 2-1. That was his eighth Burnley match, and we have been a very good record when Oliver Langford has, and we've had a very good record, sorry, when Oliver Langford has been in charge. We've had five wins, 
two draws and just one defeat, which was his first Burnley game at Doncaster in February 2011. There'd been no red cards in any of his previous eight Burnley matches and we would quite like it to stay that way. Okay, before we go on to back today for start of the week, let's dip back into the studio. Charlotte, um, I suspect some of this will be relatively um, repetitious of the Stoke City preview, but I, I suspect this one is probably going to be the same again, isn't it? Swansea City, uh, just one, as it as at the time of recording, are just one place above Stoke City in 16th with 32 points. They've also only won eight games this season. So, uh, same again. We think we're going to win, but we don't know. Is there any distinction between Stoke and, and Swansea away here? I have not too much at the moment, is it? I guess it depends what happens on Friday. If we get absolutely battered, then it'll look like it's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, like you say, there's not much between them at the moment. Not between the where they are on the table, their points, that type of difference. So really, if you're feeling confident going into Stoke, you should be feeling confident going into Swansea. But it, it makes me feel a lot more nervous saying that about two games rather than just one. <laughs> so... I'll try and dial it back a bit, but no, it does massively depend on what happens uh, on Friday. And obviously, you never know what's going to happen. You could pick up injuries, you could pick up suspensions. I mean, anything could happen in that very short period of time. But if I'm feeling confident going into Stoke, I've got to say the same about Swansea. And hopefully, hopefully the lads can prove me right and uh, and take, take the confidence with them. Yes, I agree. Give me a score prediction then for Swansea away. Okay, I'll be more sensible with this one. So if we're doing four 0 at Stoke, we'll do four one at Swansea. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you for a split second, then Charlotte. Tom, are you gonna are you gonna be more conservative and go three one? Or are you gonna surprise with something else? I could see us putting a few past Swansea because when they came to the turf, they tried to play it at our own game. They were terrible. Yeah, they did. They like us, but not as good, and it just really played into our hands. And I. I think they're one of these teams that is like wedded to the style and they won't yep. go a bit more pragmatic. They won't go any other way. So I could see us giving them another 4-0 drum in, to be honest. Fingers crossed, anyway. Okay. In that case, then, what's Bromers Bank is going to be? We've got a 4-1 and a 4-0. I'm going to dial it back a little bit. I'm going to say 3-0. So your Bromers Bankers for Swansea is 3-0. Same caveats apply to what we said earlier on in the show. And we're heading back for one final time to Statman Dave for his miscellaneous stat of the week. As we know, Burnley were top of the championship table on Christmas Day this year, but this isn't the first time in recent seasons that we've been the festive table toppers. As well as leading the way at Christmas this season, we managed that feat in 2013 and eventually finished as runners-up behind Leicester City in May 2014. The only other time this millennium we've been table-toppers on Christmas Day was in the year 2001. Despite picking up 50 points from our first 25 matches prior to Christmas, we only managed another 25 points from our remaining 21 matches, and agonisingly missed out in the playoffs in 7th position on goal difference. It's also possible for clubs to make a push for the title in the second half of the season. In 1981-82, Burnley were struggling in 18th place in the old third division on Christmas Day, with just 22 points from the first 18 games. Between then and the following May, the Clarets picked up 58 points from the remaining 28 matches to take their points total to 80, which was enough to pip Carlisle United to the title on goal difference. 
And before we do leave you this week, we are going to check in with our resident FPL expert, Adam Dennett, who's going to give us a bit of a lowdown on what has happened now the known and never fantasy Premier League has returned and we are back in FPL updates. Adam, what have you got for us? Hi, Adam here with your Game Week 17 FPL update. Starting with your team of the week, which lines up in a 3-4-3 formation. You have Kepper in goal, who got a clean sheet, save points and two bonus points in Chelsea's 2-0 victory at home to Bournemouth. Uh, Tim Ream uh, got a goal, a clean sheet and two bonus in Fulham's 3-0 away victory against Palace, obviously helped by Crystal Palace's two red cards. Uh, Kieran Trippier, who seems to be in the team of the week most weeks nowadays, um, with a clean sheet, assist three bonus, getting him 12 points in their Newcastle's 3-0 victory away at Leicester, uh, which temporarily put them into second place in the league. Looks like real contenders this year. Side note, uh, Trippier is the top goal, uh, top scoring, point scoring defender on 108 points, which is a massive 32 points clear of second place Saliba. And overall in the game is the third highest scoring player just behind Haaland and Kane, showing great value. Uh, I think he's still uh, around 6 million marks. So if you haven't got him already, you need to get him in. Um, completing the back line is Jerry Mina from Everton, who scored a goal and got three bonus, but Everton still lost 2-1 late on at home to Wolves, really struggling at the moment. Uh, into midfield, uh, Marcus Rashford continued his good form from the World Cup and from the Carabao Cup uh, victory that we won't talk about last week with a goal, assist, clean sheet and three bonus points in Manchester United's 3-0 home victory against Nottingham Forest. Um, moving on, Solly March uh, got a goal, an assist and three bonus points. Screamer of a goal as well if you haven't seen it in Brighton's 3-1 victory against Southampton. Joel Linton is the second Newcastle player on the list with a goal, assist, clean sheet and two bonus points, getting 13 points in uh, Newcastle's win. And completing the midfield, Mohamed Salah with a goal, assist and two bonus points in Liverpool's 3-1 victory away at Aston Villa. Up front, your top scoring point, uh, point scorer of the week was Mitrovic with a goal, two assists and three bonus, uh, getting him 15 points in in Fulham's win at Palace. Haaland, again, mainstay in this team. Two goals, three bonus points in City's 3-1 win away at Leeds. Uh, score is his scoring against the winner of, uh, against the City of his birth. It was also his 20th goal of the season and we're not even halfway through yet. And completing the lineup is Kai Havertz from Chelsea who looked very sharp with a goal, assist and three bonus points in Chelsea's home win against Bournemouth. On to the Nona Never League. Uh, so I'll just do a rundown of the top five, which has closed up at the top. Uh, in fifth place, uh, Daniel Shepherd uh, with 1,068 points. So he joined fourth with Evan Dobson, both on 1,068 points. And your top three are quite far clear of the rest. Good 20-point cushion. You've got Brad Banks in third place um, with 1,090 points. Dylan Crowther in second with 1,095 points. And still top, but only three points clear now, is Rupert Booth's Colm Kickers with 1,098 points. The overall rank of the top three players are, well, Rupert is in the top 2,000, Dylan is in the top 3,000, and Brad is in the top 4,000 out of 11 million players. So really, really doing well at the top of the No Never League. 
Um, nearly passed me by, but we've got the November Manager of the Month Award. Um, this month, only two games in November uh, before the World Cup break, but well done to Jane Clare and her Leighton's Heroes, who scored 140 points in those two game weeks. Uh, please get in touch with us via Twitter at no Nay Never or email us on preview show at nonanever.net to claim your prize. Well done, Jane. Uh, in this month's Manager of the Month, again, only two game weeks, um, we've got 34 players scored over 100 points this week. Um, really high scoring week, a lot of the popular picks doing well. Um, you've got three players on 110 points, three players on 111 points, and in the lead, Chris Ogden's Venkis Chickens Up the Clarets. Uh, yeah, Venkis Chickens Up the Clarets, lovely name, uh, with 114 points. But all to play for, so um, make sure you get on those teams before the weekend. There's quite a lot of people in with a chance of getting that coveted No Name Ever sticker. And just on to a bit of a general update, I think the popular pick, um, one of the popular picks last week, or some popular picks that didn't perform, Reese James obviously went off injured in the 52nd minute, uh, frustrating his own. It looks like he'll about be out for three or four weeks. Callum Wilson missed the game, Newcastle's game through illness. And Pep Roulette hit quite a few players with Cancelo and Foden both left on the bench. I think the biggest issue of those is obviously Reese James and the others should sort themselves out, especially Cancelo and Wilson. You expect to come back into the side very soon. Foden has been benched now for four games in a row, so it's probably in a void at the moment. Uh, your replacements for Reese James, uh, you can either, because we've all had unlimited transfers, you should have a good first bench option. So you could just bring in your first sub bench James this week and wait for more information about the double game weeks that are coming up. That'll come into later on. That'll give you great flexibility. But if you do want to bring him in, if you're not happy with your first sub, uh, you've got the Arsenal guys, Gabriel, Sally, uh, Saliba and White, who all like good options. Uh, Duncan Estupanan from Brighton they've got a potential double game week coming up you could straight swap at Chelsea with Cucurella or Aspilicueta but rotation will always be an issue with Graham Potter's sides and then Trent and Robertson looked like they were coming back to some sort of form for Liverpool Robertson with an assist um, and yeah Liverpool looking a lot better this side of the World Cup so also good FPL options going forward a lot of people already have Trippier but Botman uh, for less than four and a half million in a very solid Newcastle defence is also a good option. And a longer term pick, if you haven't already got him, Luke Shaw at Man United, who've got good long term fixtures and he's only 4.8 million at the moment. Um, I was talking about double game weeks, so we expect a few to fall into uh, game weeks 19 to 21. Uh, Fulham versus Chelsea is already confirmed for game week 19, so Mitrovic is the obvious pick. Uh, just one watch out for him, stop him. Me um, putting him in my team uh, was that he's on four yellow cards, so at risk of a suspension. Um, but yeah, if um, there will be more game week uh, 19, 20, and 21 double game weeks announced soon, so keep your eye out for that. And the game week 18 deadline is 6 15 pm uh, Friday. Uh, and then just a quick note to say there's a very fast turnaround, and the game week 19 deadline is on Monday at 4 pm. So you have to be on the ball with your teams. Uh, probably won't be able to bring you an update before that one due to the games updating and probably us not maybe not getting a pod out uh, before that Monday deadline. But all the best for game week 18. Wishing you all green arrows. Up the clarets. 
which just leaves me to leave you with your quiz question for this week. Listen up, listeners, get yourself a pen and paper, and here is your quiz question. Burnley only won two home league games during the calendar year of 2021, but with four home league wins last season between January and May, and a further nine so far this season, the Clarets have racked up an impressive 13 home league wins during 2022. However, can you tell us in which calendar year since the turn of the millennium did Burnley accumulate the most home league victories? And for a bonus point, can you also tell us how many home league league wins there were that year? So since 2000, we are looking for the calendar year, not the season, the calendar year that Burnley had the most home games and for a bonus point, how many they were. Listeners, you know the drill by now. You know how to get in touch. You can contact us on Twitter or you can leave a comment on our Facebook page or you can email us at previewshow at knownandever.net. That is all we have time for. I genuinely hope you've enjoyed our bumper mid-Christmas New Year edition of the None and Ever podcast. We've incorporated an analysis of the Birmingham City results and we have looked ahead to Stoke away and Swansea away. What a time to be a Claret. And as we draw out 2022, we just don't want this season to end. So listeners, enjoy it while you can because seasons like this don't come up very often and you should enjoy every single moment From all of us here at Known and Ever, have a fantastic end of the year. Enjoy New Year, whatever you decide to do. And our best wishes for a happy, healthy and prosperous 2023. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Known and Ever podcast. Until next time. The Known and Ever podcast is brought to you in association with the TalkSport Fan Network. Natalie Bromley is the host and editor and the show is produced by Matt Moss. Our resident statistician is Dave Roberts and our FPL expert is Adam Dennett. The analysis show team is collectively Tom Whitaker, Richard Steele, George Poole, Charlotte Rigby, Adam Dennett and Robbie Kopak. Our music is provided by George Gaskill and our newsletter team is headed up by Jamie Smith. If you don't already, you can subscribe to our newsletter by visiting nonadnever.substack.com. Our thanks as ever go to our partners, TalkSport. We are, as ever, proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.